Hi there. I'm Brett Hall, the host of TalkCast. <laughs> I've just always wanted to say that, I think. Okay, so something a little different today. Something remarkable came across my Twitter feed this week. And I'm not going to spend this episode at all talking about just Twitter, as can probably be gathered from the title of this video. It was Bertrand Russell delivering a message to his descendants, but not just any descendants, his descendants a thousand years hence. On the one hand, remarkable because this was Russell, one of the 20th century's intellectual luminaries, speaking on film, which is always great. And there's a number of, you know, there's hours of him recorded on film. It's great to get these people on film and, you know, great to have access to these people on film and to see what they thought about their time and, you know, issues perhaps of their time and of what they thought the future was going to be like, that kind of thing. You know, Russell was absolutely a first-rate intellect. He, you know, among other things, he taught Wittgenstein. Let's not hold that against him. Um, he, alongside his teacher, his own teacher, uh, Alfred North Whitehead, the two of them wrote something called the Principia Mathematica, which was a book intended to lay the foundations of all of mathematics. So take calculus, take set theory, I think, take geometry, take logic, arithmetic, take the whole lot and boil it down to a set of axioms. And from that master set of axioms, you'd be able to derive anything that could be derived in mathematics. You'd have this complete set of mathematics. It, it, would, it would essentially, this system, this book, this way of approaching mathematics could potentially reduce mathematics to a mere act of calculation. Whatever the mathematical problem was, just enter it into your system, ultimately a computer of some kind, and by the end of the process of calculation, you'd get your answer. Uh, how this was possible, well, Russell and Whitehead in the Principia, they, they were seeking out these ultimate foundations, seeking out this, as I say, master set of axioms from which everything could be derived. Now, in the field of logic, you know, never mind mathematics itself, but, you know, in some sense a little deeper, the logical underpinnings of mathematics, the idea here is that, well, there's, there's two parts of a logical or mathematical system that you kind of want to discuss. One is whether or not the system is sound. Soundness of a logical system means that if you can prove something, then you've proved it true. You're not going to prove falsehoods. You're going, your valid proofs are going to lead to valid theorems. That's what soundness is about. You're not going to be able to prove a contradiction using your system. Okay? Your system is going to lead to truth, necessary truth in mathematics, or at least knowledge of necessary truth, as we say. It's not going to lead you into complete falsehood. That's what soundness is about. If you take the axioms of arithmetic, you're going to prove things that are true about arithmetic. You're not going to prove things that are false about arithmetic, so long as you're following the rules and the rules are operating as expected. So that's one thing. That's soundness. But also, we have an idea of what's known as completeness. In other words, for everything possible that you can write down that is true in your system, every single theorem that you can write down, there is a proof for that thing. So this is what, this is what Russell and Whitehead were doing in the Principia. They were attempting the, one of the first projects of showing that mathematics would be complete. As the emperor says there, that mathematics would be complete. Well, of course, it turned out there was a spanner in the works, um, but it was a good spanner, it turns out. It, 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 it enabled us to show that mathematics would remain forever a creative exercise, not just a mechanical process. Mathematics, it turned out, 
was not complete. This was shown by Kurt Gödel. Kurt Gödel's incompleteness theorem is a proof of the incompleteness of mathematics. In fact, it was the proof of the incompleteness of simple arithmetic using what are known as Peano's axioms. But the wider conclusion is inescapable. For any axiomatic system of sufficient richness, there would be statements that you could write down that would be true, but which would have no proof. There would be no proof that you could ever demonstrate that that thing was actually true or false. You know, you would have undecidable propositions, undecidable theorems, theorems that must either be true or false, but you'd never know. You'd never be able to find out using that system. Now, as I say, this has to be about sufficient richness of the axioms. Not all systems are incomplete. Not all logical systems are incomplete. Some systems are sound and complete. I've mentioned this before on TalkCast. It's every logic student's privilege if they learn enough about this stuff to end up going about the proof for soundness and completeness of sentential logic, the, the baby form of logic, the most basic form of logic that one can study. Kurt Gödel actually showed the next most complicated form of logic, a little bit more complicated than basic sentential or um, propositional logic, something called predicate logic or first order logic, that even that was itself uh, complete. That was sound and complete. That, that form of logic, predicate logic, is all about quantifiers. So it includes all the stuff that baby logic has, that propositional logic has, about you know if, then, and what and means, and what or means, and what not means, those kind of things. But it adds to that system the claims about for all things, and that there exists some X, you know, that kind of thing. So it quantifies things. It talks about a quantity of something for all things or for at least one thing. And that's what, that's what Gödel did for his PhD thesis. He proved the completeness of predicate logic. And then he followed it up with, later on after he did his PhD, that arithmetic was itself incomplete. And he became famous for this, of course, because it answered what's known as Hilbert's second problem. Hilbert had a list of 23 problems that were outstanding in mathematics that he thought were really important to solve, and Gödel solved the second one on the list to show that the axioms of arithmetic were complete, and he showed that they were incomplete. And in doing so, it put paid to Russell and Whitehead's thesis or project from the Principia. But the Principia still remains a great work of logic and mathematics. So back, back to Russell now. This is just, that's just setting the scene for who this guy is, if you haven't heard of him before. What I'm going to show you now is the video. It's in the public domain. It was, you know, first produced in 1959, so well outside copyright, one hopes. You know, I get copyright strikes for all sorts of strange things. Um, this is Russell in 1959, a man born in 1872. And what he's doing here, as you will hear, is giving advice to future generations. And like I say, not just any future generation. It's not like just his, his own kids or his grandkids or something like that. It's people a thousand years into the future. Well, let's just watch it first and then I'll have something to say about all of this. One last question. Suppose, Lord Russell, this film were to be looked at by our descendants like a Dead Sea Scroll in a thousand years' time. What would you think it's worth telling that generation about the life you've lived and the lessons you've learned from it? I should like to say two things, one intellectual and one moral. The intellectual thing I should want to say to them is this. When you are studying any matter or considering any philosophy, 
Ask yourself only, what are the facts and what is the truth that the facts bear out? Never let yourself be diverted either by what you would wish to believe or by what you think would have beneficent social effects if it were believed. But look only and solely at what are the facts. That is the intellectual thing that I should wish to say. The moral thing I should wish to say to them is very simple. I should say, love is wise, hatred is foolish. In this world, which is getting more and more closely interconnected, we have to learn to tolerate each other. Okay, so there we have it. So broadly what I think is that what he says is fine. I could quibble with, you know, some of what he says. But I think more important to focus on is the the blind spot that I think is there. And the blind spot is that in a thousand years, won't they know all that? You won't be providing any insight. Surely if, if something is regarded as deep wisdom today, one would hope that insofar as it's true, it will be regarded as simple background knowledge of the common man in a thousand years from now, or perhaps a deep misconception of some kind. The idea that we could provide them with any great insight, well, that's astonishing to me. I'm not certain this is the case, of course, but what wisdom or advice could a person from the year 1023 give us today in 2023 about how to live the good life and so on? And given the rate of advancement today is so much faster now, I imagine in relative terms, 2023 is to 1023 as... 2123 is to 2023. In other words, the last thousand years of progress will be roughly like the next century's progress, uh, and that's being conservative. A thousand years from now is not going to be like the last thousand years. Imagine more like 10,000 years of progress at today's rate, or much, much more. It's literally unimaginable. I couldn't begin to think what my descendants in a thousand years would think of us and what we, we regard as wisdom and knowledge, what could I possibly say to them that would be insightful or informative? It would be embarrassing to try and pass on some deep wisdom to them. Well, of course, I have imagined. And I imagine the only useful stuff I could say to a people a thousand years hence would be if progress did not continue. And if it does not, and they're looking back through the archives for advice from someone from a thousand years ago in 2023, well, goodness, poor them. <laughs> okay, so to help with this, I've managed to get access to a program that allows one to make high-fidelity simulations of oneself for storage into the future. It's a high-tech version of a chatbot. You've seen these things getting around. They're becoming more and more popular. This one's a bit glitchy. Bear with it. It seems to be reading from a teleprompter, kind of like I am now, or something like that, only it's doing it pretty poorly. And it's not always looking straight at the camera and, well, that can't be helped. Maybe future versions of it will fix this. Anyways, for now, sit back and enjoy my own message from my own simulation to the people of the next millennium. Hello there. My name is Brett Hall. I'm a simulated version of the person with the same name who lived last millennium. And you've just searched the archives for... My civilization was destroyed in a catastrophe. What do I do now? 
Somehow, you've managed to get this old computer to work, on which you are viewing me now. And it seems OpenAI's ChatGPT version 7.5 is still functional. This is good. I think I can help you. I gather the year is 3025. Okay then, let's begin. Firstly, I'm terribly sorry to hear that you live in a post-apocalyptic world. This was not our intention. It should not have happened. But given your civilization was destroyed in the recent past, it can only be the reason that you are now searching for ancient wisdom that I possess. Unless, of course, you are a historian of ideas. I'll assume that's not the case. So, what went wrong? Can you provide me with further information? Oh, you cannot? You're 25 years old and have lived your entire life like this, and no one around you knows why things now are very similar to the way things were a thousand years ago, back when there was fast progress. Well, happily the chatbots and search engines have led you here. Topcast was a podcast that existed in the first part of the last millennium, devoted to optimism and progress, and drew upon the work of David Deutsch, Karl Popper, and others about how to sustain rapid progress over time. But you tell me, no one knows about any of that now? Well, okay then. Give me a moment. It seems, from the information I have just managed to gather, that at some point your ancestors, my descendants, must have been unable to solve life and civilization threatening problems at a rate faster than they encountered those problems. Solutions must have become elusive when they should not have been. What we learned is that this happens most commonly when societies become what is known as static. They slow their rate of progress. This happens when societies become less critical, more uncritical. Certain ideas, for example, are regarded as sacred cows and taboos that cannot be critiqued, or in some cases, even spoken of. Whatever the case, in your particular circumstance, you tell me you don't care about any of that right now. Well, you should perhaps care about some of it, because it seems you occupy the ashes of what could have been a mighty power in the cosmos, but instead, here you find yourself still upon this same rock and not far from where I was recorded and coded. So let me provide you with some of the crucial knowledge you need to get things up and running again in the broadest possible terms. Consult the archives for further particulars about how to generate electricity at scale in all kinds of weather at all times of day and night and so on. You want to be able to do that. Life-savingly crucial as that particular knowledge is, and much more besides, I want to provide you with what is essentially deeper knowledge. Knowledge about how to go about creating more knowledge and resurrecting what we call a dynamic society. A society that makes rapid progress and therefore undergoes rapid change, but is stable while doing so. You may, in your investigations and attempts to recapitulate lost knowledge, come across the astonishing mind of the 20th century physicist Richard Feynman. From Feynman you will be able to learn very much, and not least from what he claimed was the one sentence that, if it could be transmitted, it would convey the deepest scientific knowledge should it all have been lost in some terrible cataclysm, such as the one that has apparently befallen you, Feynman said this sentence was, quote, All things are made of atoms, little particles that move around in perpetual motion, attracting each other when they are a little distance apart, but repelling upon being squeezed into one another, end quote from Feynman. 
Now that is very useful to know indeed. Perhaps write it down right now. Etch it into a nearby wall in case the batteries of this computer go flat and you lack a means of charging it. Pause this video as you do so. Back now. Okay. Now, as I have already said, and crucial for you to appreciate right now, given your desperate situation, there is knowledge far deeper than what is contained in that sentence Feynman nominated as important to pass on. Knowledge that can recapitulate, as it were, not merely that sentence, but all of the rest. For if one does begin with the idea that all things are made of atoms, how exactly does one get from there to anything else that might be true, useful, or beautiful? My own nomination for a single sentence would be, problems are solved by incremental detection and correction of errors in existing knowledge. This is how unbounded progress happens and accelerates, forever revealing more and better problems and deepening our understanding. Okay, that's my sentence. Happily for you, it seems our bandwidth here and now is not limited to the transmission of single sentences. So allow me to unpack this with some background. You want to solve your problems and improve things. That is your nature as a person. Solving problems means finding solutions, and that means creating knowledge. How is that done? And what are the limits to knowledge creation? The answers to these questions rest upon the work of those two great scholars I have already mentioned. Karl Popper, who gifted us with this vision of problem solving as being about correcting errors in existing knowledge, and David Deutsch, who emphasised and built upon the unbounded possibilities that this process enables, a potential road to improvements that is the beginning of an infinity of knowledge creation and problem solving. We now speak of optimism in Deutsch's sense, an idea your society has unfortunately, but apparently, forgotten. But don't despair. We are rebuilding and it begins now. Of course, none of anything in the worldview of Popper and Deutsch is any guarantee of success, as perhaps you now realise more than anyone who has gone before you. Things can indeed go wrong. Terribly so. But going wrong is part of the picture. And yet, going wrong is just an error. And typically, errors can be corrected unless the thing that has gone wrong is the destruction of error correction itself. What you want is to avoid also encountering a problem so great that it cannot be solved in time. In time, before it kills you or destroys your civilization, that is. To have the best chance of having the knowledge to solve the problems yet to be encountered, you want to make incremental progress as fast as possible. Incremental, so that when an error is inevitably made, you can take a step back and change course. But if you've made a great leap forward and find out that, whoops, now that was the wrong move, you may be so far down the road, having taken this great leap, that turning back is just as difficult as ploughing ahead. Both will lead to costly ruin of a kind. And aside from incremental progress, it should be as fast as possible. And that means it will take energy to fuel this knowledge creation project, and resources to house and keep comfortable, wealthy and happy, the knowledge creators. Who are these knowledge creators? Those, of course, are people if you've not realised it yet. Yes, people, like you, the most important things in the universe. But yes, I know, we too devalued people in our time. We worshipped the planet and the environment. I know, we'll come back again to that later. Let's focus on what you need now to do in the broadest possible terms. 
We have already mentioned that improving your situation requires solving problems. Solving problems requires creating knowledge, and knowledge creation is about finding errors in existing knowledge and correcting those errors. Now, here is the key. Correcting those errors means conjecturing or creating new explanations. You cannot just observe the world and derive knowledge from those observations of it. And there is also no authority out there that has the once and for all final answer, who can conjure into existence the perfect explanation that will answer all of your questions. So ignore the priests and prophets, especially in times like yours, who claim to know the future. They cannot know the future, because the growth of knowledge is inherently unpredictable. If it could be predicted today, then you would have the knowledge today, and it would not need to be created tomorrow. So one is led into a strict contradiction. Knowledge generation is a genuine act of creation. Happily, you, as a person, can do this. You can create, or a group of people can. Because, again, this is your nature, to create knowledge, explanations, find solutions by correcting errors in what it is you already know. Okay. So carve this into stone. Do not destroy the means of error correction. Error correction is a precondition for making progress. Thank David Deutsch for this particular moral maxim. Search your archives and you will no doubt find his works, books and TED Talks where David offers two other stone tablets. I imagine there is much rubble around you. So, if this is some kind of revelation to you, take some of that detritus and carve problems are soluble on one piece of rubble and on another problems are inevitable. The idea that problems are inevitable might seem to be a source of despair. Well, don't despair. Grab another piece of rubble for that. Don't despair. That problems are inevitable is actually a good thing and equaled only by the fact that problems are soluble. That problems are inevitable, even after some problems are solved, means progress will always continue. Forever. Each time you find a solution, create some new piece of knowledge, make a new discovery, a whole new world of questions opens up that you did not even know how to ask before. So embrace problems. Not all problems lead to evil. Many problems are just fun. What's the better move to make next in chess? How can we make that chocolate ice cream still tastier? What you need now more than anything else is a stance of optimism. The principle of optimism, due to Deutsch, is that all evils are due to a lack of knowledge. So, your own plight right now is riddled with evil. There is disease and there may be starvation, war perhaps and natural disaster. These should have been solved in the centuries after I made this content. I should be there beside you as an immortal, just like you. But something has gone wrong. Well. No point worrying about that now. You need to understand that the evils that befall you now are due merely to ignorance. They are due to you not knowing how to fix that thing. They are not walls before you preventing you from making progress, just obstacles of a kind to making the world better. To remedy an evil, find the solution to it. Get out there and find solutions. Problems are soluble. If you guys have forgotten the chemical arbor process, get on that quick. Grow more crops on even smaller patches of land using fertilizers and vertical farming. No matter what doom the naysayers around you predict, the world can indeed support an unlimited number of people because there is an unlimited amount of resources in your universe. Although knowledge is always scarce, because ignorance is infinite, it is knowledge that turns useless matter into useful resources. 
In principle, the limitless hydrogen gas between stars and galaxies can be used to construct anything you need from the periodic table and transform the cosmos around you into a habitable region of space, as large as you like. Matter can be transformed into cures for all your diseases and make you a body that lasts forever. No physical law stands in the way of your infinite future. Here I must take some blame alongside my friends and the people of my time. If only we had convinced our own politically powerful Malthusians, those who argued resources were finite and that the Earth was a fragile place only able to support a finite number of people, and worse still when they implied human beings were themselves an evil of a kind. We did not stand up strongly enough against them. And because of our failure, you find yourself now searching these video archives for wisdom from the last millennium. That's terribly sad, and we failed. We failed to win the argument. Progress slowed. Certain forms of error correction were destroyed. Even in our times, free speech was beginning to be limited somewhat in very many ways for fear of causing offence, or of spreading the wrong sort of information, or of not conforming to what was officially sanctioned. Many taboos were foisted upon us during our time, and too many acquiesced to the demands of the powerful who wanted to control the collective more than allowing the flourishing of the individual and cooperative creativity. Democracies were in our time increasingly overruled in favour of the decrees of the elite supranational organisations, and forms of energy were demonised so we were unable to make the progress needed to correct some of our errors that we encountered fast enough. And so many of our fellow humans failed to flourish as much as they might have. Poverty was too easily tolerated, and restrictions placed on trade because profit was demonised, and even a modern version of the Gaia hypothesis in poor disguise was taught to our children. The environment became more important than people. We ceased to look to the stars, and instead we looked at ourselves and engaged in global self-flagellation. I imagine this only got worse, which is why you find yourself in the mire you are now in. Well, it does not need to befall you again. The cure is to recognise another fact about reality. People, human beings like you are universal problem solvers. This means you have a very special relationship to the rest of the cosmos, shared by no other living thing that we know of. You can explain the rest of it, and you can improve those explanations over time without limit. And because of this, you as people are the most important entities in the universe. You contain within you the most important form of universality that has ever arisen as a consequence of the laws of physics that govern this universe of ours. That seems hardly like a mere coincidence, does it? The universe contains within it a simulacrum of itself a self-similarity in the form of an entity that can comprehend the rest of it. You. And what do you enable in this universe? Progress. The universe can improve over time for people, but only by people does progress occur at all. People are the most important and powerful agents of change in physical reality that even the evolution of entire stars and galaxies cannot compete with in the long run. Even the slow march of entropy is subject to what people learn about how to harness the as-yet-unknown physical phenomena that govern everything that is and yet might come to be. You can, over time, change the world around you and change yourselves to solve your problems through this process of error detection and correction. You need not be concerned about running low on resources. Worry only 
that you might not be learning fast enough. The problems will continue to come at you. But if you learn fast enough, then you can also create wealth fast enough to have the power to transform physical reality and bend it to your will. Over time, you can control that planet of yours and from there, reach out beyond with your explanations and transform the wider world and the cosmos. You can become like gods. Don't let happen to your descendants what we've apparently allowed to happen to ours. It's possible you will fail, but it's no guarantee. The only guarantee of failure is not trying.